Um, well, good morning to you, one and all. Suddenly preaching here today, you see a different face. This is the first time someone other than Pastor Trent has been up here to, uh, to share the gospel. My name is Doug Baker. I'm one of the pastors here at Community, and it is a pleasure, a joy to get to worship with you all this morning. Um, for those of you that uh, have been praying for my family and I, uh, I know a few weeks ago you heard that, uh, that one of the Baker family was uh, stricken down with uh, symptoms that could be a problem, and so we self-quarantined, uh, and I just want you to know that Laura is feeling completely better, has been for over a week now, doing uh, perfectly well, uh, and none of us, and the boys and I, none of us picked it up, so uh, God is good, protecting us, and, and things went really well. Um, there's a, a tiny little piece of me that kind of hopes that she did have it. They told us not to come in for testing because if she did, that means I'm immune now. Like, suddenly I'm wild and free. I can do whatever. Uh, but no, 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 I don't, no. Um, anyway, thank you so much for your concerns, uh, your expressed uh, care and prayers. Um, and Laura is at home. Hi, honey. I see you. I don't, but she doesn't know that. Anyway, uh, we're, uh, we're getting a chance on this beautiful day, on this Palm Sunday, to dig into God's Word. We're going to go backwards a little bit. I know we've been uh, all the way into John, like 17, 18, uh, nearing the end of the story. But we had to pause and kind of go back because Palm Sunday happens in John chapter 12. Um, a lot of the time between then and now, uh, between then and where we've landed in John 8, 17, 18, is Jesus preparing his disciples, his followers for what's coming next. It's a lot of important stuff going on. He's trying to get them to understand who they are, to whom they belong, and how they're going to be interacting in the world without him. And uh, they're struggling to get it. And he's really trying to convince them that in some ways really kind of kicks off uh, in earnest um, here on Palm Sunday. Um, and as I was unpacking John 12, I was reading through it over and over again, just wondering, what is it that God wants us to talk about? What is he saying to me? And what does he want me to share with you today? Um, something kept popping out. Something kept revealing itself as I was unpacking uh, the words in John 12, as I was digging into to the people and how they're acting and what they're doing. And I was struck with the different motivations happening in those moments. I want to talk about motivations today. What motivates us? What motivates people? What are the, uh, what are the underlying assumptions that we have when we walk into situations? What are the expectations that we have uh, when life comes at us, um, when we're trying to do the best that we can every single day? Um, everybody has different motivations, different assumptions, different expectations. Um, and, and it, it is complicated. It's not super simple as we're unpacking motivations and understanding why people do what they do. Uh, but it's important. God says that it's important to know why things happen, just as much as it's important to know what is happening. In fact, in 1 Samuel, it tells us that uh, the Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. You know, People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. So why we do what we do is just as important to God as what it is that we do. And that's motivation. Um, and the, th the thing that makes motivation so complicated in our world is because all of us have different stories. 
We all come from different places. We've, we've got different backgrounds. We've had different experiences. And that informs who we are today, which means that we might have, we might take similar actions in response to different circumstances. We might, we might choose to do the exact same thing, but for different reasons, which means that there can be a way that we respond to a circumstance that is on the outside exactly the same, but because of what's going on in your heart, it could be perfectly fine for you and even glorifying to God. But if I were to take that exact same action because of what's going on in my heart, I would be sinning. Um, motivations are complicated. Oh, and, and don't even like, you want to talk about really complicated. Uh, sometimes, oftentimes, the reasons that we do the things that we do, we don't even know why. Like it's like that inherent kind of response to, to the things that are happening in our lives. We, we just think things. Why? Well, that's just the way that I think about things. Uh, Laura and I were cruising around Zealand uh, earlier this week, um, just driving through neighborhoods and taking a look at different neighborhoods, um, wondering, you know, should we move to Zealand? I don't know. Could we live in this neighborhood? What about this neighborhood? And we saw some of the neighborhoods. We, uh, we really liked a few of them. And, and uh, she's like, well, you, you like that neighborhood. Why? why? And I go, well, I, I don't know. I, I just do. And then she's like, well, but, but why? Why do you think that? And uh, I, I didn't have, I couldn't come up with an answer. It was just kind of this thing in my gut. I just, that's, I just knew it. Um, I call this uh, like life on autopilot. Uh, we all have a certain amount of autopilot in our lives. And, and actually that's, that's pretty healthy. Things happen on autopilot. Like, like you're sitting at the dinner table and you knock over a glass and boom, you like grab it like super fast and like almost nothing spilled. And then you're feeling, you're feeling like you're the bomb, you know? Hey, look what I can do. It's, it's autopilot. You don't think about that. You're just, it's in you. It's, you're trained in it. Uh, uh, I live in Hamilton. It's 10 miles from my door to the door of the church. I do not pay attention to the route that I have to take home. Why do I have to? I've done this thing hundreds of times. I pay attention to stop signs and whether or not people are pulling out in front of me. But the route, I, I don't, I, whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, Life on autopilot is actually not a bad thing. There's, there's actually a benefit to it. We know what we think about things. Would you like some celery? No. Period. No. Carrots? No. Broccoli? How well is it cooked? We just know what we think about some things. Then that's, that's not a bad thing. There's healthiness in it. We would go insane if we tried to be paying attention to everything all at the same time. Um, it's actually preferable. It's dangerous for me. If I'm paying attention when I'm using the stairs, uh, it happened a, like a month or so ago. I was, I was paying, I was like, I'm walking up the stairs. I'm, oh, I'm walking up the stairs. And I'm realizing what it takes to walk up the stairs. And then I stumbled and I skinned my shin. Um, it's on autopilot that I can use the stairs, no other way. Now, that doesn't mean that everything should be on autopilot. Some things need our attention. Some things it's really important to know why we do what we do. And faith is one of those things. How and why we follow Jesus needs to be done on purpose. Um, what does it mean to walk in the footsteps of Jesus is a question we should always often be asking ourselves. So, why? Why is this? Why was this in my head? Why is this the thing that's being revealed to me as I'm studying John chapter 12? 
Well, I want to read through the first part of John 12, uh, the first 11 verses. Uh, I didn't tell the tech team I'd be reading this, so the words won't be on the screen. But if you want to follow along in your Bibles, if you want to just listen, this is a good way. Sometimes just listening to God's word um, illuminate, like it's something new comes out at us. And so uh, I want you to listen for motivations because it's happening in here. As John unpacks these things, he's setting an emotional temperature as Jesus is interacting with his disciples and the other people in the moment. Um, this is John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was being given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So... I hope you were hearing it. I hope as, as you're hearing the, the story of this moment, you're catching the fact that, that, that the people who are hanging out there with Jesus have certain ideas about what should be happening and what was important in the moment. This is their autopilot. These are their expectations. These are their motivations. Even though Jesus is trying to, to help them understand what's really happening, What's coming? He's trying to prepare them. There seems to be very little actual understanding. They're caught up in the narratives in their own hearts and their own heads. I mean, Judas comes with an agenda about money, and, and the other people are coming with a, uh, an agenda for celebrity. Hey, let's go hang out with that alive dead guy. The Pharisees, and we, we, we give them a hard time, but there's a certain... There's a certain authenticity in their agenda as well. Um, I mean, they're trying to maintain control, and that's not admirable, but they're also worried about this, this rising sense of uncertainty. And when you're a people under the rule of Rome, um, having a rising crowd getting excited about stuff and not just plain following the rules is dangerous. And so they're worried. Um, everybody's agendas are kind of coming out in this moment. We can see it. But what they're not doing is listening carefully. They're not 
paying attention to what Jesus is actually saying. They're not asking complicated, difficult questions. What does this mean for me? What does Jesus mean by that? How, how can I apply what Jesus is saying to my life and, and change who I am in light of what he's saying? And he is trying to get them to understand some good, important stuff. He wants them to know who he is. He wants them to know uh, what he came for. He wants them to know the cost of salvation that God is willing to pay. And they're not getting it. I give them credit. They're there. They're pursuing Jesus. But they've got these blinders on. And I'll tell you what, it is really hard to have a real relationship if you're not paying attention to what the person that you're trying to have a relationship with is saying. If you're not really listening to them, um, it's, not, it's hard to have a real relationship. They are there, but they're there with baggage. And things aren't going to go the way they think they should. Let's dig in again, verse 12. The triumphal entry. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had to be done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, let's, let's understand the moment a little the time period, uh, what's happening in people's lives. This is all taking place on a normal day. It's the day after the Sabbath, which means it's a Sunday. Remember, uh, Jewish people celebrate Sabbath on Saturday. So it's Sunday, probably a nice Sunday morning, maybe not much different than what we have today. And it's the week of Passover. It is the biggest religious festival of the year. Everyone is coming to Jerusalem. Everybody is coming home to the temple. It doesn't matter where you live, how far you have to travel. Everybody tried to come back for Passover. It's the most holy week of the year. They were celebrating their freedom from Egyptian bondage. Uh, the reason they called it Passover is because if you, if you think back to the Exodus, if you think back to when they were trapped in Egypt and Moses showed up and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And he's like, okay. And then there's 10 plagues. And then the 10th plague is the angel of death. And the angel of death would pass over the people's house if they were covered by the blood of the lamb. On this unassuming Sunday, as thousands were traveling the roads to Jerusalem, we find Jesus and his disciples in and amongst the crowd. They too are nearing the city. And as they're getting close, Jesus 
pauses. He stops the, his entourage, his disciples, the group that's traveling with him, because he knows that something important is happening. He knows that prophecy must be fulfilled. He knows that this is the final week of his life, and that means that certain things must happen. And so he, following prophecy, gives his disciples a command. This prophecy from Zechariah is in his heart. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so what we hear this in, another, in the other gospels. He sends his disciples on an errand. Go get me a donkey. And they do that. They bring it back to him. And he gets onto the animal and he enters the city as prophesied. His disciples are marching alongside of them. Oh, I would imagine they were quite a sight. I bet they looked in some ways kind of like a ragtag army even marching in all of their, <laughs> their power and their glory. Heading into the capital city, almost as if they were a conquering force. Imagine, imagine if you were in the crowd. You know the prophecy from Zechariah. You'd been taught it from when you were a kid. It is a part of the hopes and dreams of all the people for generations that Messiah, Messiah would come and he would set the people free. He would come in power and might and establish the kingdom of God again. And you've been waiting and waiting. And now it's happening. It's happening in front of you. How exciting must this be? Could it be him? I mean, you'd heard the gossip. You'd heard the rumors. You knew the stories of Jesus. You've, you've heard of the miracles that he, he's been doing. You've, the things that he's been saying, the way that it's, it's, it's just blowing everybody's mind. You've, you, you've heard of Lazarus and, and raising from the dead. Could this be? It might just be. It's possible, isn't it? Now, there might be some people along the side of the road with you who are, who are kind of skeptical. Ah, we've seen this before. There have been messiahs before riding into Jerusalem on donkeys. They come in claiming to be messiah and king, and they try and raise up an insurrection only to be cut down by the sword. Oh, yeah, it had happened before. Other men had made that claim. But maybe... Maybe this Jesus guy is different. Maybe those stories about him are true. Ah, you know what? Even if it's not, at least it'll be a good show. So the nation of Israel gather along the road and they watched as Jesus came, riding in on a donkey, making a statement and the volume along the road began to rise. Oh, there's an electricity to the crowd. The, the people have been stirred and a great rumble be begins to build as many voices join together in one great proclamation, the call of the crowd, the call of the crowd, Hosanna to the son of David. The call of the crowd as they gather along the road, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
the call of the crowd as they wave their palm branches in the air. Blessed is the king of Israel, the call of the crowd as they laid their coats down in front of him, on the ground in front of Jesus, finally, finally worshiping him as he deserved. The call of the crowd was loud and strong and praising Jesus for the king had come home. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. All the people of God calling on him as Messiah, as king. The call of the crowd. Because they thought they knew who he was. They thought they knew who he was. So many that day calling on the name of Jesus, calling on the name of the Lord because they thought they knew what was going to happen. Praising the presence of Jesus because they thought that he would be the Messiah they wanted, the one they expected, the one they'd been praying for for generations. It's Passover week after all. It's the week of celebrating release from bondage. Could this be the time they get to be set free from Rome? They believed he would kick out the Romans. They believed that he would come in power and live up to their expectations. They lined the road entering Jerusalem that day, swept up in the call of the crowd, praising Jesus because he would be their Messiah. He would come in wealth and strength and arrogance and war and dominion, and he would establish the kingdom of God, and he would kick out those who were intruding upon the Holy Land. They had a lot of expectations And because of that, the call of the crowd on the road that day was conditional. As long as Jesus did it their way, as long as he would meet their demands, we know their praise was conditional because of what happened when what he showed them was what looked like weakness and poverty and brokenness and humility we know their devotion wouldn't last because the same crowd that called out his praise later that week called for his blood. In Matthew 27, it says, what shall I do then, Pontius Pilate asked, with this Jesus who is called the Messiah? And they all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. And they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. All right. So we're, we're not in first century Judea. We're not 2,000 years ago. We're today. So what does all of that have to do with us? It is important to know how and why we follow the Lord. To know our motivations. To come face to face with what's real inside of us and what it is that we expect from a relationship with Jesus Christ to be people called Christian. Because we have expectations. We have ideas about the way things should be. For those of us that have been believers for a long time, It's easy to get into a very comfortable rut when it comes to faith. We have a sense of what we like and what we don't like. 
so often, in fact, we tend to want to just read those passages in the Bible that, that, sound, that, that say the things that, that agree with our stances on things and, and, and where, where we think that the church should be and what the church should be about. And we stay away from the passages where Jesus says stuff that, 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 that make it complicated or, or, or poke at us too much. Um, I think we would all be surprised how many people in the church have never asked the tough, critical questions about our faith and does it really line up with what Jesus says we should be prioritizing and who he says we should be. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that you do this. I'm not saying that you neglect to read your Bibles in their, their entirety. Um, but I know that as I was going into John 12, I was challenged. And I was being reminded that I need, I need to ask God for clarification on my faith. I need to ask God continually to make sure that I'm following him for who he says he is. Because if for one minute I think that because I'm a pastor or because you know I've been a Christian for however many years or I've had theological uh, education, if I think for one minute that I've got it figured out, then I'm going to be lost. Because I don't know if you realize this, but the people that were with Jesus that day had been with him for three years and they were actually walking with him and talking with him and eating with him and learning at his feet every single day and they were missing it. What in the world makes me think that I don't? Coming at faith with humility and a teachability is really important even if we've been doing this thing for a while. You know what? Not everybody worshiping with us today has been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you're brand new or maybe you're searching. You've tuned in and, and, and you're wondering about this Jesus thing and whether or not church is right for you and what does it mean to be a Christian? Life on autopilot is not healthy for you either. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for any of us. Not faith. Not faith on autopilot. I want to challenge you to look in a mirror and ask some tough questions. I am so glad that we're here together. I'm so glad we're worshiping together and that you're asking the questions and that you're digging in. I'm so glad and I'm not telling you you shouldn't. But I do want to challenge you to ask why. What's, what's brought you here? Is it because of the chaos in our society right now, in the world? Is it because of fear and the things that are going on and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn and, and maybe this church thing has some answers? If you're here on autopilot because of an agenda you weren't even aware that you had, I want you to, I want you to pause for a moment and ask why. And I want you to ask that. I want you to, I want you to challenge yourself to, to ask the tough questions about this faith thing. Because, I mean, first of all, if you're here on autopilot, guess what happens when the crisis ends? Autopilot will just take you in another direction. And then what started as a possible relationship with Jesus, just it goes by the wayside. And that's not good. It needs to be real. A relationship with Jesus needs to be real. 
It also, it also needs to happen. We also need to be asking these tough questions because I don't know if you realize this, it's all through the gospels, but Jesus makes a habit of defying our expectations. He doesn't do things the way that we think they should be done. He isn't just the savior we think that he should be. He is God himself and he's the one that defines reality. When it comes to walking in faith, we're the ones that are supposed to mold ourselves around him, not get him to mold himself around us. And that means coming face to face with those biases and expectations and those narratives that we've got running around in our heads and in our hearts. We have to ask those questions so that this faith thing can be real and not just some, some paper thin semblance of what faith should be. Because somebody once told us this is what it's supposed to look like. We're supposed to have real relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who came and lived and died for you, who wants an intimate relationship with you, who wants you to know him because he knows you and he loves you. Why and how do we follow Jesus? It matters. It has to be more than autopilot. It has to be more than just getting swept up in a moment like a, a bunch of people lying in the streets waving palm branches. Faith needs to be more than just joining in with the call of whatever crowd it is we think we're joining in with. It has to be more. Because if you're really gonna do this faith thing, you gotta know, you have to know that Jesus is gonna ask for everything from you. He's gonna do everything for you, but he's gonna ask for everything too. And it is only, only when we know him and respond to him for who he is that he turns around and offers us far more than we could have ever asked for or even imagined, all for his glory and for the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, sometimes, sometimes I feel like I really know you. Sometimes I feel like, like, like you're, so, you're, you're clear to me and, and I get it and I know what you want from me and I know who I'm supposed to be. And sometimes I feel lost. Sometimes I come into contact with a portion of your word that reminds me that I have missed it. And I confess to you that I, I, don't, I don't have it all figured out. But I don't need to because you are the one who is Savior, not me. You are the one who is the answer, not me. You are the word, not me. And so I give myself to you. Lord, Jesus, we, we give ourselves to you. Tell us who you are. Show us who you are. And help us to come face to face with those narratives, the autopilot in our lives that wants to take over when it comes to items of faith. Break through those barriers and show us who you, who you are and what you want us to know of you so we can know who we are and what you want us to know of us. For your glory, Lord Jesus. For the glory of the name of the Father. Amen.